All right, welcome to the 11 Dubcast. I'm John Ginter, and it's the summer. We, we are in our summer fun mode, but I do want to talk to you guys, uh, all you listeners out there, about uh, kind of uh, some changes that we've had with the 11 Dubcast. I've been doing this for about, I think, five years now, which is really ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I've had several co-hosts, a lot of different people who have contributed to this, and it's been a lot of fun, um, but I also feel that we've had to make some changes in a good way, some things to get our names out there a little bit more to maybe uh, make the dubcast a little bit more of a cohesive presentation for you guys. Because to me, it's always been like a fun, cool thing to do, but I I wanted it to be a little more directed uh, for you guys so that we can, I don't know, just have something really cool that we can come and see and listen to on a weekly basis. So to that end, uh, we have brought in somebody who I respect a lot, who I've listened to a lot in Columbus and why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, hi, buddy. I, <laughs> hey. You know, I've never, I've usually led shows. I've, I've never had, you know, a, a buildup like that. So this is exciting. Right. Uh, Bo Bishop it's, here. It's basically, it's, yeah. it's like Krusty the Clown uh, introducing uh, Bart Simpson. You know, Johnny, we go back so far, kid. you and I do. Um, years ago, you were a part of the first, uh, an, an absolution abortion of television that we put together <laughs> on the local CBS affiliate. Um, no, it was great. It was great. It was. It was amazing. We were doing uh, wall-to-wall sports on a Saturday night after an Ohio State football game, and we were at the Donatos on High Street, which was as chaotic (laughs) as anybody listening can imagine. And you were one of my panelists, and it was, I think, your first time on live television. We'd done something taped before, but first time on live television, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. So we did live television, and I believe the power went out because an inebriated kid pulled the plug on our satellite truck. And we had former Ohio State offensive lineman Jason Winrow, God rest his soul, uh, was there. He was part of an earlier part of the show, and there were drunks who were trying to come onto the set. And Big Win was a big dude. I mean, he was still 320 pounds in all of it, and mostly muscle. And he muscled these people off so we could do the show. And I remember when we went black, though, looking at you and looking at the other guys and going, nah, we'll be fine. No big deal. And you guys were like, what in the hell is going on here? And I'm like, yeah, live TV. It happens. That's how television works. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've, I've been a long time in this business, which is not really true <laughs> or really accurate. But I've, I've learned to roll with the punches. Yeah. And I had a great time. I got some free pizza. That's, and right. that's, that's really all that mattered to me. That was, that was great. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, it was fun. And, uh, you know, one thing for me when it came time to, you know, we've talked, I've talked, I've known you guys for so long, all you guys with the site, and always admired the way you've gone about your business and the sense of community that you've created with Ohio State. And um, as I'd moved on to this next chapter in my life in the private sector, the one thing that I really missed was an ability to be a part of that community. Um, I was doing a Saturday radio show here, and I still do here in Cleveland uh, from from 10 to noon on 92.3, and we do a college football show in the fall, and we do a lot of the things that I used to do in the old radio show um, in Columbus, but I really missed um, that Ohio State community. And um, yeah. and that was something that when I started talking to you guys, I said, you know what, I, I'd love to get back to that, and I'd love to get back to that, because it's not, it's not a Columbus community, it's a nationwide community. And to be able to talk it again and have fun with it again, it was such a part of my life for eight years and it's such a part of my children's life and um there's nothing quite like ohio state football and i was in the south for a lot of years and covered the sec and the acc and there was just nothing quite like ohio state football and so an ability to kind of get back into that and have a little fun with you guys um was kind of a no-brainer for me and and hopefully this is just the beginning of uh what could be a lot of fun stuff down the road thank you very much so can i ask you this so this is um this is something I've always wondered, mm-hmm. and I feel like when we talk about Ohio State, and, and it's something that I think just permeates our lives, 
24-7 sure. because there's always recruiting and, and, you know, different things that other coaches say and something that Meyer says and whatever. And I feel like it becomes kind of insular. Mm-hmm. And because of your experience in the South, I, I want to know, like, how is the Ohio State beat and the Ohio State atmosphere different from, you know, in Florida? It's big business for starters. Uh, it's big business. That's the one thing. It's very corporate. Uh, I always said yeah. it was uh, it, it has a feeling of corporate the thing that I always said, it was kind of like the firm, like don't ever go against the firm, Johnny. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the size of Ohio right. state. I think this is the thing that I always tell people that aren't from Ohio. What, why, what Ohio state is when people say, Oh, the, you know, the biggest football programs in the country are so-and-so and so-and-so. And I say, no BS, the biggest football program in the country is Ohio state. And here's why it's one of the top 10 populous states in the union. It's the right. 13th largest city in the country. And it has it all to itself. It has the state to itself. It has the city to itself. And it is the one thing that through time and memoriam has dis- has represented Ohio State. You can hold your head high, chin up with an Ohio State logo on your chest because they have been good forever. And no matter what's going on in Cleveland, although it's been good this week, or what's going on in Cincinnati, Ohio State football has been something this state can be proud of. The steel mills may go away. Uh, the rust belt may crumble. But Ohio State football will represent every single Saturday, and they've done it for 100 years. And that is the thing that is so special. And so the difference is that there is an, there's an admiration and a love for the institution of Ohio State that, to me, transcends. They take it very seriously. They should. It's, it means so much. In Florida, in the South, and it, those people have their same passions. And if you listen to Feinbaum sure. show, borders on lunacy much of the time. Um, <laughs> but but the difference is that in in the South, a lot of times it's a big party. I mean, Florida Georgia is arch rival, right? But they hold the world's right. largest cocktail party. I've been to it several times. And at the end of that game, they all party together in Jacksonville. Can you imagine that with Michigan? That's <laughs> well, the two, okay. So two things I want to say about that because it's really interesting you say that. Um, Spencer Hall, you know, over EDSBS and SB Nation, mm-hmm. he, I forget which Ohio State Michigan game he went to. It might have been 2006. It might have been a couple years after that. But he talked about, like, the Germanic, like, clockwork of the rivalry, mm-hmm. right? Like, hate you at 9, hate you at 10, hate yeah. you at 11. I'm just going to, like, this is going to be the focus, and then afterwards I'm not going to think about you. I just want you dead, but we're not going to communicate. And it's just this real serious, like, this is business. Yeah, it's right. something that people take extremely seriously. It's not, a, it's not, it's not entertainment so much as it is part of a life. Sure. And I think that's to me, the, the real defining line. And what you said earlier about it being very corporate. And this is something that I've always said about Jim Tressel is that you can be the most beloved, respected person in the world. But if you do something to damage the brand right. of Ohio state, you're dead. Yeah. Like bye. I don't care what you did for us in the past, present, future, whatever. If you make this brand look bad, you're gone. And I respect that yeah. in a way. I actually really enjoy that because to me it says that we take it seriously. And, and again, I, there is the the stereotype of the stoic Midwesterner, but I embrace that. Yeah. And I, I love that. And that, I, for me, that's the stuff that I really enjoy about covering this team and, and just watching because it it's a business and it's done seriously. And it's it's something I enjoy just paying attention to, I think. Yeah, I think Woody Hayes said um, in the great Mike, Mike uh, the um – Battle of the Century or the war, the Ten Year War, the Mike yeah. Rosenblum book is that his Rosenberg book? I remember that reading was, it years ago. I forget his name exactly, but I had him on a show. I should remember his name. He's a great author. He works for Sports Illustrated now. But he had a great line from Woody Hayes in that book where Woody Hayes felt that Ohio was the best part of the United or excuse me, Ohio the United States was the best part of the world. Ohio was the best part of the United States. Columbus was the best part of Ohio, and Ohio <laughs> State football was the best part of Columbus. And I think right. that is the way that the that the people who grow up here feel about it and it's something that 
you know, it's something up here in Cleveland that the people here, the, the people who run the media here in Cleveland can't really get their hands on, around because Ohio State football games outrated Cleveland Browns games many times this year. <laughs> Think about that. Right. There's a younger generation, and this is really the, if you want to speak to Urban Meyer and the power of the brand and what Ohio State football means, and when I talk about it being something that represents week in and week out for 100 years, there are a generation of people here who have seen nothing but losing for the Cleveland Browns. And what they've decided to do instead is spend their four and a half hours on a weekend watching football, watching Ohio State. And that's a tremendous shift over the last 25 years in Northeast Ohio. And so that, that's what it's about. It's, and when I say corporate, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that right. you're talking about a city, a, a metro of around three million, and you're talking about big business and big corporate money, and there's nothing else to put their money into. So they put it into <laughs> Ohio State. And, and that's the difference. And, um, you know, we, we, you've heard the stories of how much it costs to sit courtside at the basketball games or the waiting list for tickets. I mean, none of those issues are anywhere else in the country, but they're issues that are very real in Columbus, Ohio, in relationship to Ohio State. Yeah. And, you know, coming from I'm from southwestern Ohio, I'm from Middletown. And there's always been, I think, a stereotype of southwestern Ohio where it's it's less connected to the rest of the state. It's more like Kentucky and Indiana and things like that. And that's and that's accurate to an extent. But one of the things, again, that's exciting about this team, Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer's connections in Cincinnati as well, mm -hmm. but I agree with you. The same thing that you're seeing in north, uh, northeastern Ohio, I think you're seeing in southwestern Ohio, where there is people are starting to become less, I guess, tribalized, if you want to say, in a sense, at least where it comes to Ohio State. And I remember growing up in Middletown, and you would see, you know, in the in the journal, like a page devoted to Miami Oxford and you know the Miami Redhawks and, yeah. and their teams, which to me is baffling. Uh, <laughs> but now you don't see that. Now, now you've got a little blurb about them and the entire things about Ohio State. And this is a massive organization. Um, I am very happy to be able to discuss with it with you, uh, Bo Bishop. Yes, sir. And you know. Again, it's the off season, right? So yeah. there's a lot of other things going on, and I would be remiss. And this is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today on. But it something I think miraculous happened. And as much as you we're think? talking about Ohio State being this great <laughs> influential thing, we do have to discuss a legitimate miracle that has occurred. And I I don't I'm still trying to process it. I'm not even really a huge Cavs fan, yeah. right? Right. Like I I guess I am a default Cavs fan because I'm from Ohio. But sure. oh my God, like I. Just thinking about it, I still can't quite believe that they did what they did. And why should you? Yeah. If you were if you were working for right, uh, you have no reason. If, we have no have reason. No reason. To. If you were to, if you were working for MGM and I walked into you and I said, uh, "Dear Mr. Hollywood Executive, what I have here is a story <laughs> of a kid who grew up in a Rust Belt city, 35 miles south of one of the strongest fan bases in the United States, a fan base that have been deprived of championships for five decades." Through the luck of the draw, he will be drafted by that team. When he is up, they will be bad, and the ping-pong balls will go your way, and you'll be able to draft him. He will then immediately bring you success, faster than you even anticipated, to the precipice of a championship, and then he will break your heart on national TV in the most cruelest of ways. He will then win championships in the most glamorous city in the United States, save for Los Angeles, and then out of nowhere, to the surprise of everyone, he will come back to deliver you a title in his prime. In his first year, you'll play for a championship, but two of your best players will not be able to play in, the, in that championship series. The next year, he will get you back again against a 73-win, historically great team. And then he'll get down 3-1, to one, and people will doubt if he has the ability to do it again. And then he'll put up 41-41 and a triple-double and do what has never been done before. Several things that have never been done before. Among them, coming back from 3-1, 
among them the fact that he's the first player in the history of the game in any series to lead a team in points, rebounds, steals, assists, and blocks over the course of a series. If I were to tell you that, Mr. Hollywood Executive, you would throw me out the door and say, get the hell out of here. It's not believable. We already made little giants in the 90s. We don't need to do a basketball. That's it, man. I mean, this is all of that stuff has been processing in my head since this happened. It reminds me very much of what I saw covering Ohio State when they won the national championship and having to go to the Sugar Bowl and beat Alabama in their backyard. Oh, man. There are so many parallels between these two teams. The odds that were in Ohio State in that, that night, uh, in, that, in, the, in the Sugar Bowl, the odds that were against uh, LeBron James and the Cavs, the parallels between excellence that LeBron and Urban have, um, it's a wonderful thing. It is, it is nuts that it happened. Uh, it is a great time to be, on, be in Ohio. And the ties that, yeah. that LeBron has with Ohio State are real, and they only you know, kind of connect those two communities even more. It, I mean, buddy, there were people running around in the neighborhood I currently live in uh, screaming. There were fireworks as far as I could see when that game went final. And it reminded me very much of, of when Ohio State beat Alabama. So I, okay, so I have I have a couple things to say to that, um, but I, I want to say this before I forget because this is something that I think has been I've been chewing on for just ever since that that final you know horn sounded. But Ohio in general, in Cleveland especially, right, is the is the brunt of a lot of mm-hmm. jokes, a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of like ah, oh, it's a mistake by the lake yeah. and the rivers on fire and all this stuff. And those are the type of things that I think every look every city every state has those types of things. Uh, and you're expected to kind of laugh them off with good humor. But the difference with Cleveland and Ohio, but again, Cleveland especially, is that they have been constant for 40 years. There are people who have grown up, you know, lived a full life, and, and, and have never seen a point where they were able to take pride in their city because other people respected their city. Mm-hmm. And again, this is, this is a macro thing. This is not something that I'm saying is just sports-related. This is something that people in Ohio and Cleveland have had to deal mm-hmm. with, with the Rust Belt, with, with jobs leaving, with people losing their livelihoods, and they have been laughed at. Mm-hmm. People have come, like, they have laughed in their faces about the fact that their lives suck, about they live in a, you know, a quote-unquote boring state, that their jobs are gone and that they root for teams that lose. And when you've been told that your entire life, you internalize it. It's something that, you know, Browns fans, which again, I'll give them credit for being more optimistic than they have any right to be at, you know, ever. Right. Um, Browns fans, Bengals fans, Reds fans, even when they were good, they, they still like people like, ah, oh, they're going to screw it up. And Indians fans, Cavs fans, there's always this fatalism that, that you can never shake because you are constantly told by other people who live elsewhere that you're losers. And the psychic effect of having, again, the Reds won in 90. I'll never, I was five years old. Yeah. I'll never remember that, even as a five-year-old. But the Cavs winning this in a city like Cleveland, the way they did, it is impossible to overstate how much that means to people in the city of Cleveland, just mentally. And, and again, that, that sounds so overwrought. but It's I, not. It's not. No, it's it not. really isn't. That it, it matters that much to the people who live Johnny, there. a guy from here did it. Yeah. He's yeah, exactly. from here. This exactly. isn't he's not a carpet beggar. He's not somebody who's from somewhere else. He came from here. He was born here and he did it. Right. To your point, it's interesting. Um I, I remember when I was in Florida and I met my now wife and and she would say we people would ask, Where are you from? and she would say, Cleveland and people would say, Oh, I'm sorry. Like that was like how rude, right. right? Like it's the most rude thing ever. And a lot of times it's people yeah. from like Gainesville 
And trust me when I tell you, there's zero <laughs> special about Gainesville, Florida. Nothing. Zero. Right. Nothing. And they would say, I'm sorry. And I would think, God, that's so rude for starters. Second of all, they've never yeah. been to Cleveland. They have no point of reference for what it is or what it has or what it doesn't have. And what yeah. I would tell you about that is I think you're spot on. There's not a whole lot different between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, right? The two cities are yeah. very similar, um, and that's probably why they're natural rivals in football and at one point one of the great rivalries in the NFL before the But the Pittsburgh's won championships. But Pittsburgh won championships. So you right. never, ever hear anything negative associated with the city of Pittsburgh, ever. Yeah. Nothing. Because they've won. Their sports teams mirror the way that they are perceived around the country, and the same is true for Cleveland. Baltimore is no great city, okay? It's not. Yeah. But they've won championships. And aside from the occasional reference to the wire, you rarely hear ne- anything negative about the city of Baltimore. But Cleveland's the butt of jokes, and it has been yeah. for years. Johnny Carson started it, God, what, 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and it's just lived. And because there hasn't been championships, there's nothing to hang your hat on. And now that's over. For the people of, of Cleveland and Northeast Ohio and, to an extent, Columbus, because when I was doing the radio down there, it was Cleveland and Columbus were like sister cities. Oh, that's yeah. the way it was. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Cincinnati was almost like Kentucky. I never yeah, saw any, no, it is. I never saw it anybody is. from Cincinnati come to cover Ohio State. Uh, we never did anything with the Bengals or the Reds. We always did stuff with Indians and Browns, and the ratings proved that out. When I was at Channel 10, uh, if we had Browns versus Bengals, no matter their records, the Browns always outrated the Bengals. So the cities were always linked in that way. And and so if you think about growing up in that this part of Ohio and you think about the idea of um, having to watch the drive or the fumble or Red Right 88 and all that, it's all gone. This dude has yeah. washed that away. You will never see that montage again. It's done. And that, I mean, can you imagine that? And, and that, that's what the other thing, when I think I speak to him and what he's done and what he you know, willingly put on his incredibly broad shoulders was essentially, I will end this. I will end 50 yeah. years and I'm going to do it and I'm going to take it on. And if I don't do it, because I'm telling you, if he didn't do it, they would have turned on him because of the way he oh, left and the fact that he was in his prime. Oh, yeah. But he did it and he delivered it. It's a remarkable yeah. thing that he's washed them away. Well, and that's the second thing that I wanted to say real quick, because, you know, you were comparing – Cleveland to Ohio State and when they did what they did. And I agree with that in a sense, but the one thing that I would disagree is that I don't know that Ohio State had a LeBron-like figure. And I'm not Pressel, saying that the, the first well, time around in, in 2002 when you went so long. I guess I'm saying specifically oh, this against, current run. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when they when they went against Alabama yeah, and Oregon right, right. and whatnot. And my point to that is is actually not to lessen what LeBron did, it's actually to to build it up because you like you just said for him to have the stones to come back and say, I am literally going to be basketball Jesus. I am yeah. going to lift this curse from your city. And then to do it is nothing short of insane. And the fact that he did it in the fashion that he did, I mean, we can get into some detail, obviously, about the finals. You know, I look, I didn't have any faith. And, and what's funny is that, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with DJ Burns on our site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you get very familiar sure, with him yeah. because he's, He's great, yeah. but DJ was like probably the only guy when when JT Barrett went down. Um, I, I I thought they were done. Yeah. I, I thought there was no way in hell anything was going to happen, you know, with regards to the postseason or whatever. And he said, "Nope, going to beat the crap out of Wisconsin. Going to beat the crap out of Alabama. Going to beat the crap out of Oregon." Was like, he high? Every what's was up? he high? No, well, nobody, no. <laughs> I'm telling. No, I remember I mean, that vividly when JT went down against Michigan. I looked at Matt Barnes from Channel Four and I said, "It's done." Yeah, it's done. I mean, and the but everything you said, yeah. I mean, and that kind of optimism, that kind of faith, 
I had, I didn't have it. I didn't have it when the Cavs were down 3-1. Um, but I should have because I – and I think we do this, and I think no matter what LeBron does, I think people are going to remember him inaccurately, which is they won't remember him as the singular force that he is. Like, they'll look at stats and they'll go, wow, he did a lot of great things, but – he elevates the game of every single other person on the floor. Right. I cannot imagine another basketball player who's been able to do that in the way that he does it. And it's, to me, what he was able to accomplish is the ultimate vindication of somebody who is that floor general, who is the guy who can direct people and set things up. He isn't just chucking like 15 threes in a game. He's, he is the team. And I should have realized that. I should have realized that he had the capability of, of molding that team around his will and, and winning those three games in a row. Well, you weren't alone. I, and I don't think anybody, and they're down 3-1. And I picked them to win the series before at hand. And, um, sure. you know, I, I really thought that they would that they could do it this year. Uh, but I went down 3-1, uh, you know, obviously I conceded. That's it. There's no way. You're not beating that team that many times on the, on their court twice. You know, it just didn't make sense. Right. Um, so, so to be able to do it, you know, it's funny. You, you talk about um, – expectation and you talk about urban and you talk about LeBron and I was talking about the parallels and I'm reminded you said something there about the expectations LeBron was viewed as the chosen one from the time he was 16 so this this oh, yeah. was predetermined he has basically walked for the last 15 16 years under the uh, under the realm of if he's not Michael Jordan it's a failure now think about that right I mean that's really <laughs> the way he's been judged in this social right. media hot take age if he's not Jordan he's a failure and you can't. It's almost yeah. like you can't even put him in the conversation with Jordan. People get so defensive about it, even though at 31 he's got the same amount of titles and one more MVP than Jordan has. Um, right. You can't even put him in the conversation. And, and I think they are in the conversation. I think they walk in the door shoulder to shoulder as the two best players of all time. That's a conversation for another day. But what LeBron has done with expectation and reaching them and meeting them is very similar to the expectation that Urban Meyer had when he came back to Columbus. Oh, absolutely. Because when yeah. he, you guys remember that. Um, yeah. I mean, very vividly, obviously, that was a hell of a time for your site. It was a hell of a time for my radio show um, because of all of the things that were swirling. And and when when Urban Meyer came back, I remember taking calls. If he doesn't win a national title in his third year, that's a fail. And, and all of this <laughs> absurd expectation. And then all Urban did was go undefeated in year one. Right. In year two, go undefeated until the Big Ten Championship. And then in year three, win the national title. I mean, he he reached – he reach the expectation, the absurdity that we put in it, that on these on these two guys, Urban and LeBron, and they both met it. It's a it's a crazy thing. They're both Ohio guys. They're at two beloved places for the fan populace, and they both met the expectation. Johnny, that is so rare in sports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ohio. I mean, it, it is something that's incredibly rare and lucky. And it, the fact that it's all kind of converged at the same time, I also think is. It's something that we're going to look on maybe in 10 or 15 years and go, I, this is the golden age. Like, this is, this is the craziest run, okay, if you care about these teams that they've experienced in a very, 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 very long time, maybe ever. And I just, like you said, the story that's going to be written is going to be completely unbelievable right. to it. I don't know how you make it not just sound like a fairy tale. And what's funny to me is that, you know, they did the 30 for 30, right, mm -hmm. with the Cleveland the and all that stuff. And I, I don't know how you show that to anyone, you know, without them kind of laughing about it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it, it's such a, it's now it's a joke. Now it's like, yeah, well, whoever, whoever <laughs> knew that Cleveland was so down and so, yeah. you know, crap. And, and maybe these words sound silly, right? 
when football season starts and the Browns are terrible or whatever. But yeah, I don't I don't know how you can I don't know. I, LeBron just a singular individual being able to accomplish what he's accomplished and the way that he has and the fact that you know the dude's 31 years right. old. It's not like it's the end of his career, right? This isn't the last go around. The guy still has many years of productive basketball left. Um, yeah, I just I, I think it's pretty amazing. And what's funny is I saw a lot of commentators talking about the reaction of Cleveland mm-hmm. afterwards. They didn't really know what to do. Yeah, you know, it's like a kid who just like scored his first. <laughs> like, what do I what, do? I dance? Am I right. happy? Do I put my hands in the air? And it really does feel like that because I've been talking to a lot of people, just diehard Cleveland sports fans in general, who are just like, they don't know, they don't know how to react. They're still like kind of in a dream right now. It reminds me very much of when the Red Sox won the World Series. Um, Yeah. You know, I I think that's the only comparison. The Boston Red Sox fan base was a very angry fan base. Um, They had felt that they had been wronged. Um, you know, they, they were hanging on to things like Carlton Fisk in game six. You know, they, they, they didn't have a championship. They had nothing to hang their hat on, even though that city had seen plenty with the Celtics over the years. But the Red right. Sox hadn't won anything. And so it was, it was almost like a badge of honor um, to be like, yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan, and we're going to finish second to the Yankees every year, and that's fine. I'm a Red Sox fan. And I think Cleveland sports fans have that, had that same mentality of, um, yeah, we, we haven't won, but we're the best fans and we're going to stick it out. And we're going to party harder than anybody. And we're going to be, um, antagonistic and borderline sometimes awful. I mean, I wouldn't take a 15 year old <laughs> to a Browns game. It's dicey. Um, right. but I think that so there is a sense of that because then that, now that anger is gone. Like you don't need to be mad about it anymore. You won a championship. <laughs> like, and I think there was something that happened with the Red Sox where some of their identity was taken when they didn't have that common thread of failure. Um, and that, that can, in, in a way it's kind of the tie that binds. And I think the same thing is here, true here in Cleveland. I've talked to uh, my wife's whole family's been here. I mean, we, we're here, you know, this Basista furniture that my wife's uh, dad owns, uh, that I'm doing some work with now. I mean, we've been here 95 years, you know, in this city. And so it's generations and it's uncle Jerry's over there and uncle Tom's over here and they're all in the family and they're all working. And, uh, you know, they're, they were crying that night. You know, my wife bawled, she legitimately cried. Uh, when it was over because of because it was such a weight lifted off of her. And um, I was taking calls on the show on the radio show on Saturday. And there were people uh, that were so emotional that I'll never forget. She said before the series started, my wife said to me, she goes, do you think that they can win? And she was referring to game one. And I said, I said, honey, I think they're going to win the series. And she said, you shut the hell up. She goes, don't even talk. <laughs> like that. And even when they're up 12, Johnny, she goes, I said, I go, honey, he hits one free throw. It's done. There's not enough time. It's over with one free throw. She goes, do not say that. Like, that's how cursed, you know, they felt. And, you know, what, you know, when you live in Ohio and you think about, and this is something that to me is so cool, and I'm so proud to raise my boys here. I'm so, ra- so proud to, you know, they're diehard Buckeye fans. And I, I taught my oldest how to, you know, potty train using a Zeke Elliott jersey over his head. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I, like, they, they just live and breathe this stuff, and it's awesome. But what I'm so proud about is the gumption that we have here and the wherewithal to stick with it. You know, like, we're kind of all in it together. Winter sucks. It's gray. Um, but we have our fall and we have our Buckeyes and we have LeBron and we have our sports and they unite us. And it's, it's something that I just didn't feel in Florida, which is a very transient state and something growing up in Montana that we just didn't have anything that was taken this seriously. There were, you know, so many options outdoors to, you know, take up your time. And, uh, we were so far from professional sports. We just didn't have anything like this. And, um, and so it's cool. And it's something that, um, I think Ohioans in general can walk around, 
a little chest puffed out. I'm going to fly to Montana tomorrow with my boy, and you can better believe he's going to be head-to-toe in Cavs gear and uh, or Buckeyes, one of the two, probably both, uh, knowing how he likes to roll. Uh, but, but that's a cool thing. And, and, Johnny, I'm telling you, I don't know if you've – I know you lived overseas, but I, I don't know if you've – if there's another place quite like it in that sense, uh, quite like, Oh yeah, I don't think so. And I, I think when you say like United by failure, uh, I think that's a really, <laughs> that's a really good way to put it. And I think nothing really quite bring, brings people together, especially in this state, than being able to commiserate over crappy things yeah. sometimes, you know, whether it's the weather or jobs or just general, you know, stuff. I, I think people just, you know, they want to have some kind of shared experience. And unfortunately, like I said, you know, the perception is in Ohio that it's over failure and loss. And I saw, you know, I saw people celebrating. If you looked at the pictures and, and the videos and vines mm-hmm. and Snapchat and all the other crap from, from Cleveland that night, I mean, it's everybody. It wasn't just, like, young people who like basketball. I yeah. mean, it's, it's literally everybody in that city. Yep was a part of that. They're saying that they're expecting something like 800,000 people yeah. for the parade. That's, that's a third of the metro area. That's right. All right. Yeah. That, that is one out of every three man, woman, child, elderly, young, whatever, are going to be in attendance. And that's probably a low estimate. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the point that I'm trying to make. Like, it, it is definitely something that culturally is embedded in us. And it's not something like some, I have a lot of friends who, you know, they're not big sports people. Mm-hmm. They kind of poo-poo sports, but, you got to understand, this, I mean, again, and this isn't going to be a surprise to anyone listening to this, but it's a, it is truly a cultural force, and it can be a cultural force for good. And, and it's been, it, for Cleveland, this has been a really positive, awesome thing. I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I loved watching the games. I mean, we haven't even really talked about the games themselves. Right. yeah. Like, especially the, the final game, oh my God. I, <laughs> that was one of the most tense exciting basketball games I've watched in a long time. And it wasn't even, I think, objectively a, a technically great game, but just the, the the pressure and the tension, especially in the last five minutes, I don't know. I, I, I loved every part of it. I thought it was great. Well, you had everything. I mean, the way that it ended, I mean, you had the SWAT with LeBron, which will be yeah. something that will be remembered like Jordan shot or Magic's baby hook. You had yeah. Kevin Love, who was so maligned. And, uh, you know, borderline despised <laughs> Shutting at times down Steph Curry. Shut him down, and then you had Kyrie Irving shot. So you had all of it, uh, all in the final two minutes. Um, and it, it really did have it all. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, the games weren't great. Uh, the first six weren't great. They were mostly blowouts. I mean, um, but the last game is – and even the last game wasn't great. It was uh, herky-jerky. The last five minutes, both teams were really – I mean, I think they were 1-17 down the stretch. Nobody, nobody could score. Kyrie's bucket was the only bucket. Um, it was really ugly, but it was still great drama. And, um, you know, it's funny. When we t- we were talking – you were talking we were talking about a little bit about, um, you know, the tie that binds and all that stuff and the rallying around and the cultural and all that stuff. You know, Cleveland and Columbus, and those are the two cities that I've spent the last decade in, um, those two cities and Columbus – Obviously, this won't be new, but obviously you're very familiar is booming. I mean, it's a boom town. I was down there for a doctor's appointment with my oldest boy a couple of weeks ago. I could not believe the amount of cranes that were up like that. Is, it's a flat out boom town like it's it's blossoming. And I got news for you. Cleveland is, too. And so it'll it, the, the what's going on downtown in Cleveland. They're 98 percent full with their condos and apartments downtown. Everybody wants to be downtown. Um, it's an older city, so it doesn't quite have the aesthetic look that Columbus is able to pull off. Um, but there's a, a ton of history here, and, and everyone's moving back. And so what will be fascinating to me is how we as Ohioans, how we handle prosperity. 
because we have the <laughs> right. best football program. How can you do a success? Yeah, we have we have the best football program in the country, along with Alabama, and we have the best basketball player on the planet who walks hand in hand with Michael Jordan, and we have commerce, and we have cities that are coming back big. Uh, Columbus, obviously, a little quicker, but Cleveland's coming back too, and so. How do we handle that? How do we handle prosperity? I mean, how <laughs> the idea of a prosperous, cocky Ohio is one that I think could be a lot of fun over the next few years. Well, and I got to tell you something. So I feel that the the entire series really hinged on one supreme moment of like swagger yeah. and cockiness. And people talk about like the the block that LeBron had in Iguodala, which is completely warranted. That that was mind bendingly ridiculous. Yeah. He, he did that. I mean, his his head was practically like above the rim. Right. But uh, where he swatted uh, Stefan from behind yeah. and just gave him that stare down, that look. And I don't, I would love – God, I would pay so much money to know what he said Steph. Yeah. Uh, but the look that he gave Steph was like, this is – you're still young. Like, relax. This is still LeBron's era. You've got a right. lot to do before you're going to be at my level. Not yet. This is, this is my time. This is over. I think the entire series hinged on that. And that, to me, I was like, they got a shot. If they can, if they can carry that swagger, that confidence into the seventh game, and if Ohio and everybody supporting it can carry that confidence, like going forward, mm-hmm. I mean, you can do stuff when you believe that you can do stuff. And I just, that was my probably favorite moment in the entire series. That was awesome. Where, where he did that? that, was I, awesome. that yeah, I mean, that was. I, I'm sure you've seen the the hype video with Christopher Walken talking about the lions and the jackals and yes. all. I mean, that's probably the greatest hype video I've ever seen of all time. Um, and um, and and that, to me, like that was the, that really captured what the series was about. That he was this lion, and these jackals were nipping at his heels, and then he went. Uh, Draymond said what he said. Uh, the NBA sat Draymond down, and the rest will be history. Um, and yeah, those the way he owned Curry. I mean, Curry probably played the worst an MVP has ever played in the finals. Oh, yeah. And if that was LeBron, he would be just crucified. If he went oh, four absolutely. fourteen and had seventeen points and had that ridiculous turnover behind the back and uh, some of the shots that Steph missed, I mean, it just would be absolutely he'd be just getting crushed with every hot take left and right. Um, you know, it's interesting you you mentioned the swagger and us walking with swagger and. If you think about Urban is a supremely confident human being. I mean, I, oh, I think yes. when he got hired, I said Urban Meyer working at Ohio State is Don Draper selling Mercedes Benz. It's that easy. <laughs> like this will be a layup for him. Right. And and LeBron has that. I mean, I, LeBron's. I don't know if you've ever been in a room with LeBron James, but he he's very similar. I've been fortunate to, and he's very similar to. Um, I've been in a room with Michael Jordan, and he's very similar to Jordan. When LeBron walks into a room, the room stops, and I don't care who's in the room. I don't care how famous the people are in the room or how wealthy the people are in the room. When he walks in, it stops. And there's a certain amount of swagger and confidence that comes from that. And, and the same is true of Urban, uh, to a lesser degree, walking into a room. But, but Urban is somebody who stops people. And the way that he goes about his business is so supremely confident. And these are two Ohio guys. And, and as yeah. I raise boys in Ohio, you know, I look to these guys and I say, boy, if these guys can do it. Now, we're not going to have the physical gifts of LeBron James. But if these guys <laughs> can walk with that confidence. And walk into rooms and own it. That does wonders for the for the whole state. I mean, everybody wins with that. And 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 that to me is is a big part of of what's happened here over the last few years. And something that came to fruition. You mentioned the the block on Curry. Uh, LeBron had confidence. He was the lion man. I mean, Game of Thrones, right? The lion still yeah. has claws. The reins of Castamere. That's what he did to, to <laughs> Steph Curry over the last three games. Because yeah, that that's what he did, man. I mean, that that he proved that he still has the lion still has claws. 
Yeah, well, and it's something that I think uh, you know Cleveland and the rest of Ohio is going to be celebrating for a long time. I'm really excited for the parade. Um, actually, you know what? Speaking of underdogs and, and speaking of Game of Thrones sure. uh, and speaking of maybe not having a lot of confidence that the right side will come out on top. Um, <laughs> so you're a big fan of Game of Thrones. I've yeah. read all the books. I've watched Wow, all this is books. awesome. So, all right. Very interesting. I've never talked to anybody who's actually read all the books. I have. Okay. Um, I've read all the books. I've, I've even read all the preview chapters that okay. George R. R. Martin has released on his website. Right. Um, so I'm, I, I consider myself to be a fairly well-informed Game of Thrones fan. Yeah. Uh, I made a lot of references to the North Remembering. Right. And uh, Wyman Mandalay, if, if you're familiar with him. Uh, his his speech uh, to Davos, which is not in the in the show, right. but in the books, uh, I, I made a lot of reference to that as Ohio State was going to play Alabama right. in the Sugar Bowl because the North the North does remember. Sure. Um, but we had a huge huge throwdown on Sunday, Battle of the Bastards, and the Battle of the Bastards. And I want to I wanted to get your hot take. I want to know <laughs> uh, first of all how you felt about that battle because it was it was pretty well telegraphed. And, and secondly. Did it progress the way you expect to? Were you surprised that the Knights of the Vale uh, came no. to the rescue of Jon Snow? No. And this was the only thing that I was disappointed with about it, was this is a show that I fell in love with when Ned Stark's head got cut off. Right. Right? They're, because they're it made no sense. Like, wait a second. You're killing the star? Right. This doesn't even make sense. Like, who the hell does? No one has the guns, the onions to do that, and they did it. Um, and so the that is what I fell in love with with this show, was the... Um, inability to predict what was coming next. And I'm assuming the books are this similar and why you fell in love with them and read and devoured them the way that you have and others as well. No one is safe in the book. That's right. I mean, well, there are, I would say there are basically three people who are safe in the books, but everyone else. Probably the same three in the, in the show, right? Don't you? Yeah. Uh, John, uh, Tyrion and Danny, right? That's yeah. Those are, to me, those three are pretty much, they're good to get. Yeah, that's, um, that's kind but of everyone right. else. You never know. Yeah. So I guess what, what was uh, a little, first of all, cinema, Cinem- what is it? cinematography was like yeah. a film. I don't know if I've ever oh, it seen be- it was incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen a better battle filmed and the way that they filmed it from like the ground and the suffocation of John when he was underneath those piling oh, dead bodies. So intense. Never have seen anything so like good. it. But unfortunately, because he had already died and been brought back to life, I really didn't right. fear for him actually dying. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so really, it was just a matter of, OK, he's going to win. Ramsey will die. How is John going to win, and how is Ramsey going to die? Those were the only. That was kind of the only drama that was hanging over it. Um, I right. thought that the Knights of the Vale would come and, and help Sans as they did. The most disappointing thing to me was that John is Ned Stark's son. Uh, maybe not in bloodline, but in the way that he behaves, because mm-hmm. that was the stupidest thing of all time. And that Rickon can't run in zigzags. Those got to be the two dumbest. <laughs> serpentine. Yeah, who in the blue hell decides to charge an army of 6,000 by themselves? And I know you're emotional, but Sansa told you how this was going to go. He goes right. charging in. I mean, like everything that he did, he just threw out for honor and nonsense. Yeah. I just so was like, eh. Here's the criticism sucked, that I've heard. Here's the criticism I've heard. And, and, and I agree with this to an extent, but I also think that it's important to maybe present the other argument as well. So a lot of people have said that this, this battle has kind of betrayed the spirit of the books because for instance, in the books, uh, Stannis has not even approached Winterfell yet. He has not fought Ramsey. He hasn't fought anybody. He's still around in the books at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's right now. He's just camped out, snowed in at this really tiny village and his men are basically starving to death. Oh, geez. Um, and the, the criticism is, is that, um, you know, if you make a dumb mistake, in the books, and up until this point in the show, uh, if you make a dumb mistake, you pay for it. Right. If you do something incredibly stupid, you pay for it. Stannis is not marching his army 
towards Winterfell with no rear guard, with no like flanking. You know, he's not just like saying, "Ah, screw it." Right. He's got an incredibly detailed plan for what he's trying to do, and and that's the point. Like he's a battle commander, so he's not going in there doing stupid stuff and and just getting you know walloped for it. Whereas some people are saying, well, Jon Snow does something really dumb, like run after Rickon and then have everybody have to save his butt and right. you know charge recklessly at a superior force three times his size. He should, by all rights and according to the laws of the universe of Game of Thrones, lose. That's right. right? Yeah. Like he should not win this. Right. However, the one counterpoint that I would say to that, Ramsey, look, Ramsey has been behaving recklessly since the beginning of the season. Right, like oh, he is gosh. potentially like he's made enemies all across the north. Johnny, can't he's you go back to when he was first introduced? Like Roose, Roose right. Bolton was not a fan of him gelding, little right. like the young Ironborn. Right. So he is he is by far the most reckless person on the show, and and to to this point, that's that's the show has been very uh, sympathetic to his recklessness and, and kind of in my opinion enabled it. Um, I don't like Stannis is not losing to to. To uh, to Ramsey. So that's in the happening. book, it, that's a real betrayal. If from a book reader standpoint, Stannis would never yeah, lose to Ramsey. Re- yeah, from a book reader standpoint, it's ridiculous. There's no way that that kind of stuff would happen. On the other hand, it was badass, and I love seeing Ramsey get punched in the face a thousand times right. and then fed his dog. Right, like that was great. So you know, I I understand the point that some people are making that kind of betrays the the attitude, or whatever. But a, it was awesome. B, uh. Ramsey was paying for his recklessness and see people don't even talk about like what was going on in Marine, right? Where the dragons right. finally show up yeah. and burn the crap out of the slaver ship. How many like, hero moments has she had? I mean, yeah, she's had like a dozen phenomenal Dracarys burn things God, moments. Cool. I mean, it's been ridiculous at this point. Like she's got to just get on boats and ride some dragons and get over to Westeros. Right. We got to be yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, again, it, that's where you see a, a few splits with the books. But man, like, I don't care. Like, again, yeah. there, there are people who want to remain pure or whatever. But screw that. I love to see Danny just like mount on a dragon and that's just right. blow the living crap out of, you know, a giant ship. I mean, that that stuff is, is awesome entertainment. Um, I think I think it's really cool um, how they set up Tyrion to be a right hand man and how she's kind of listening to him, but also kind of like showing him that force is sometimes necessary. That's really cool because yeah. Tyrion's always been the schemer and the, you know, tries to stay out of things. Um, yeah. I just, I, I'm actually really excited uh, where the series is going with it. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. To All watch. right. So I, who's winning at this point? Because if we are to say that at this, I think it's pretty clear that, uh, Tyrion, Danny, and John are the three, right? I mean, that, they're yes. the three chosen ones that will survive. Yeah, they're the three heads of the dragon. Right. So if we're gonna if we're gonna beat the White Walkers, they're the ones that are gonna do it. We got Valyrian, we've got dragons, we've got we got fire and ice, we got everything we need. But we have all these ancillary side stories that are that right. have to be. You know, you got two two seasons. I think seven episodes a season to get through. Um, but that's fourteen episodes. It's a lot of time that they've got to get through. Um, you got to have a lot of peaks and valleys during that time. You got Cersei versus these crazy religious dudes. Although she's obviously the Mad Queen, she's probably going to burn the place down. Um, yeah, that's, that's coming, right? It, yes, it is, yeah. and that's and that's the thing. So this is again, I'm I used to be able to speak as a book reader with some kind of authority on this. I'm not. I'm just obviously just pulling out of my butt at this point because we're all on essentially a, a level playing field. But they didn't mention the wildfire, and I don't think that the show played it up enough. Um, Tyrion gave Danny a little speech about it in the last episode, like, yeah, there's stashes of wildfire, right. like, all over the city. The books make it very clear. It's not just, like, stashes. Like, it's the entire city is sitting on a gigantic oh, stash of wildfire. The likes, they spent decades okay. building up stashes. Like, this is this is something that could, like, it's like a nuclear bomb, essentially, that 
the entire city of King's Landing is sitting on top of. So she's going to burn it to the off. ground. Yeah, that's Chekhov's gun. You don't you don't put that on the wall without firing it. So they are they're going to use that at some point. I don't know if it's going to happen in this season, but that to me is how that storyline ends. Um, that's going to be nuts. And the whole thing with the Greyjoys, I don't know exactly how that's going to end because that's completely deviated from the the book right. uh, storyline with that. But I'm just, I don't know. I'm like, well, and the Sansa story is very different too, right? Because she's yeah, never yeah, given she's, to Ramsay in the books. She's no, yeah. So I mean, there's they got her to figure out. Like she betrayed John a little bit. Why wouldn't she just tell him that the Veil vale guys are coming? I mean, right. they had that war meeting. Why don't you say, listen, John, wait 15 minutes. <laughs> well, I got to tell <laughs> Give you, me something. a day. They're going to be heard here. A really dark storyline Sansa theory, which I don't know that I buy into, but I think would be kind of cool. Uh, who's Rickon, right? Right. The, the the last male Stark heir, right? Yeah. Well, the well, if he dies, who's the last Stark heir? Who's the direct line to, to being in charge of Winterfell? You think, it's Sansa. A, you think it's a power play on her point that she's really Maybe. Maybe she was like, that. he's already dead. Let's let him die. Blooded, man. She's got... She's, that, I, well, she's going to have a she, bad, she's she's bad deal because Bran's got to come back with all his powers and Arya's this little ninja. So, I mean, she's going to have a right. rude awakening. Bran's the other yeah. thing that's out there. I mean, his ability to do what he can do. So... Yeah, I, I just love the show. It's um, I've, I, it was interesting, Johnny, because I've I've often said on radio shows that I've done that the two things that are undeviarable are sports that you care about and Game of Thrones because both <laughs> both will be wrecked if you don't yes. watch them live. Both will be wrecked. So I was forced with an incredible problem on Sunday, and what I chose to do is watch the game, uh, basically go black on my telephone and on social media. I was still able to tweet, but I only looked at my mentions. I never looked at timelines. <laughs> And, yeah, it was painful. And I was able to wait till after the game and the celebration, and then uh, despite the fact that my kids get up at 5.45 in the morning, uh, I stayed up till 1 in the morning watching watching the battle. So it's got one episode left. It's delivered. It's unbelievable theater. And I, the one thing that I've heard from everybody who's a book reader is that, that the show has absolutely lived up to the books. And I've heard some people who've read the books that said the books even had a couple – there were a couple of books that were – or maybe one book that was – not so great that um, yeah. that the show is actually. Kind of I like it more than most people do. Feast for Crows is not supposed to be the best one, but I actually really, I actually liked it. A would lot. you recommend people who obviously most times you want to read the book? Would you recommend people who have only watched the shows just reading the book worth their while? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's an incredibly. It, first of all, it's really well written. Um, it's told from different perspectives in such a way that the the show really can't recreate. So I think that's really awesome, and it's just it's exciting. It's it's fun stuff. I actually I do recommend that people read the books just because it's they're they're extremely long, yeah. right? I mean, we're talking about a thousand pages, okay. eight hundred pages, but they they're still there's a lot of really great world building that George R. R. Martin does. This is not something he just kind of. It's not like Harry Potter. They kind of just this is a cool idea. Let's throw it in. Yeah. I mean, he's thought of the backstories and the family lineages of every single one of the hundreds of characters that appears in the books. I mean, he's 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 really built a world, and it's it's really cool to to kind of get invested in. I guess. Do you think that's why I he's having such a hard time finishing? Yeah, yeah. It's the level of the level of um, detail that is required to write those books to make sure that you're not contradicting right. yourself to make sure that everything works. It's it has gotten so complicated and complex that I'm not at all surprised yeah. that it takes them this long. Yeah. So it's incredible. But man. yeah, I'm really excited. I'm pumped. And you know what, Bo, I'm, I'm really pumped that you're with us here at 11 warriors. I really appreciate oh, me you too, man. coming on and talking with us. Cause this is, this is a hell of a lot of fun and we're gonna have to keep doing it throughout the summer. And especially as we get into football, we'll season. be back next week, my friend. Absolutely.